magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickschiller.com. Just because you see G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and usually I just launch into right here into who we're going to have as a guest on this week but I really got to thinking about, you know, I just wanted to say thank you to all you guys. This um, podcast has taken on mm, quite a life of its own and it wasn't just another one of those things in life that it wasn't what I expected and I wasn't sure what I expected but it certainly wasn't um, how the podcast has turned out. I've just been lucky enough to have amazing guests that I either knew personally or have been introduced to uh, by someone else. And uh, yeah, what what a journey with all these amazing people. And um, thanks everybody for listening and joining along with us. I know I get, I get stories at clinics and horse expos about people uh, listening to the podcast and maybe getting a bit, inspir- a bit of inspiration to look at maybe parts of life a bit differently. But, um, you know, I'm humbled to be able to just do this and, um, you know, bring you amazing guests. And I might as well get to my amazing guest for this week. My guest for this week is Jennifer Walker. So Jennifer's from Australia, and on her bio it says, personal development and mindset coach, philosopher, speaker, and equine communicator. So normally I read a bit more about the people on the podcast, but I mean, that there kind of tells you where this conversation is going to go and how it's going to be. So um, yeah, I had a great chat with Jennifer and I hope you guys enjoy this chat with her as much as I did. Jennifer Walker, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Thank you for having me. This is this is going to be fun for a lot of different reasons uh, that will be revealed at some point in time. But I, um, you know, in the uh, the intro, I read out a little bit of your bio, and I want to I want to quickly skim through it again because we're going to come back to that. But we're going and we're going to come back to what you currently do. But basically, we want to figure out how you got there. But pro, uh, professional equestrian coach for twenty five years runs unbridled the mind equine therapy retreats for adults and troubled teens. Qualified NLP master practitioner and conducts online program called Make Happy a Habit. Creative cutting edge healing modality called the ETP method, which I am fascinated to find out about. <laughs> it's for anxiety and depression. Author of The Secret Actions to Happiness, which is an ebook, and you have launched Rural and Real, which is over the phone counseling for rural people in Australia. So I love all that stuff. But first, I want to unravel uh, how did you? get there i mean uh you weren't you if i get this story right weren't you like a jumping rider or something way back in the day yes uh well that seems a lifetime ago uh i mean from a very young age i heard that europe was the place to go uh if you wanted to be you know a top level rider so at 19 i headed off to germany and uh well i actually got the opportunity to 
uh, work in the what was called the best stable uh, at the time in the world. The gentleman had won uh, five gold medals at the Olympics in show jumping. And, Who was that? Um, his name was Hans Gunther Winkler. And um, he and is he German? Yes, and he was stationed just um, outside of the um, German Olympic Training Center. There, he had his own complex, and uh, it was amazing. It was only twelve acres, um, and all the horses—they never got to go out in the paddock, which is so different to here. But oh my goodness, this standard there has served me well right through my life. Like we couldn't even lead a horse out of the stable without cleaning its feet out. It wasn't no shavings were allowed on the cobblestones and uh, yeah, it was um, very particular. And certainly I learned a lot there. Uh, so train with that level of person um, is life changing. But yes, yeah, so I loved the show jumping, came back and I was obsessed with warm bloods. So came back and started a breeding program. I was probably more interested in the breeding aspect but that's where it all started to go a bit haywire. Um, I did grow up on a thoroughbred um, stud. My, my dad was into gallopers, so I'd been around young horses and, and, um, and you know, thoroughbreds. But, yeah, so I got, I got um, back and um, bred warm bloods and it wasn't, wasn't long before I realised that, you know, I couldn't even lead one. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'd be born and within 24 hours they'd bitten you, kicked you, run away. Not like you know a thoroughbred or a stock horse, which I was used to, and so I struggled on for probably a couple of years. And a friend of mine said um, I couldn't even catch. So the first one I ever bred over here um, at about he was nearly two year old. I couldn't catch him. I couldn't lead him. <laughs> I couldn't pick his feet up. Just very basic fundamentals. And so a, a friend of mine said, "Oh, you need to learn about this horsemanship training, you know," and um, I guess I probably was a little bit cocky back then. I thought, well, you know, I've been around some pretty good people. You know, that sounds a bit of crap, really. You know, that's how you think when you're in that world, and I still see it today. Anyway, a few more months went by, and I went, all right, tell me your story. And she knew a gentleman down the road. I was so blessed that I had this gentleman down the road, and I do believe that you know him, um, Phil Rohde. Um well, funnily enough, my oldest brother is married to Phil Rohde's oldest daughter. Ah, I did hear that there was a um, some sort of relationship there. <laughs> yeah, no, we've known we've known Phil and his wife Dot since I was very young. Yeah, no, you know, we're good friends with the girls growing up, and uh, yeah, my brother ended up marrying their oldest daughter, so I know Phil quite well. Ah, there you go. Well, Phil is a legend. Um, you know, Phil and I. Um, We've had our moments, but um, as in we've clashed horns a couple of times, but, you know, he's probably just, um, I probably wasn't listening and he was probably trying to help me. So, but, um, yeah, so this particular day he came out. I couldn't catch this young young colt. Um, he wasn't gelded because I couldn't catch him. <laughs> and um, Anyway, so he came out and it did take him about an hour and a half to get this little horse, you know, because I was, you know, the old days where you get the halter and you sneak up and, Lily, you sneak up and try and catch them just so you can get them. And anyway, he he got the horse. And once he got hold of the horse, um, you know, he flagged him down and and um, you know had him picking all his feet up. And, and this is just in one session. He had him leading beautifully with a nice float in the the rope and and um, had him picking all his feet up. And I just went, oh my goodness, like this is all quite fascinating. So I ended up saying, well, 
you know, could you start the horse under saddle? Back then I used to say break the horse in, but anyway. Yeah. So Phil took this little horse and um, it was all a bit different for me. Um, I remember the first I went over and watched a bit and he was riding it around in a goddamn halter with one lead, <laughs> one rope and flicking it over the head and I'm just going, oh, what is this? Like, But the reality is he was getting the results and I wasn't and you have to look at those things. So um, so that was the beginning. That, that little horse called Rocky was the beginning of my whole change in my whole life and, and even down to, I have to admit, before I found horsemanship, I really had got to the point that I wasn't enjoying my riding. You know what I mean? Like you'd go out, you'd catch a horse. I had a beautiful big um, warm blood mare and she'd, she'd be at the other end of the paddock. She wouldn't run away, but she wasn't really happy to see me and we weren't really getting on that well as much as, you know, she was very charitable. And So, yeah, so that little horse changed things for me in so many ways. And uh, that's sort of my introduction to horsemanship. And, yeah. You know, I want. I kind of want to go back to to Germany to Hans Gunter Winkler, Winkler whatever his name. <laughs> yes, Hans Gunter Winkler. So you said you learnt a lot of stuff there, um, and the horse couldn't even be taken out of its store without its feet being cleaned out. Yes, that's all human stuff. Yes, how were the horses mentally? Uh, like, did they, they want to get caught? Uh, well, it didn't matter because they were in a twelve by twelve box, so they didn't have a choice. Look, I think they were depressed. Mm. To be, to be. That's the thing. Yeah. Like when you said everything was done perfectly. Yeah, done perfectly for type A humans, mm-hmm. but not necessarily done perfectly. You know, like people. <laughs> I have people come to clinics and they go, "Oh, it, it's you know, is it okay? I didn't get to wash my horse." I'm like, I don't care if he's dirty. I'd rather he was dirty than. You know, horses don't care if they're clean or dirty. Mm. You ever washed your horse and turn him loose and <laughs> rolls in the like? They don't care if they're dirty or not. That's all human stuff. So, yeah, I was just wondering how that, you know, the whole, um, you know, everything was done perfectly in Germany, but was it actually perfectly, or was it just very Type A German automobile structured type stuff? Look, um, I do believe that. Um Hans loved his horses 100% to his knowledge and where he Mm. was at. Like every night he would come down without fail. And, I mean, these are little things, but he would bring them some carrots or whatever treats and he would come down every night, you know, after his dinner before lights went out and he'd just check that everyone was fine. And and the horses did actually quite like him, I've got to say. Um, Normally in those regimented deals um the horses are quite shut down but they actually the horses actually loved him i've got to say i have to say that that's cool but in their environment like you know their legs were constantly swollen you know what i mean like they were all bandaged so everything was bandaged 24 7 um and you know they always had filling their legs and you know one of the things that i really learned compared with australia is our horses get to run depending on i'm on three thousand acres so they get lots of run here but Generally speaking, they've got at least a two-acre paddock or something in Australia. And um, those horses were not sure-footed. You know, they never got to play. They didn't get to run. They didn't get to be agile in the paddock. And so I, I did notice that I didn't think they were as coordinated as the average horse out here. And I know they're warm blood, so they're a bit clunky anyway, but that was one thing that I really did notice from that world. 
You know, it's really interesting because uh, you said early on, you said when I was 19, I wanted to go to the best place in the world. I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, do, you know, do you know who Leslie Desmond is? Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. So I've yes. had Leslie on the po- yeah. I've had Leslie on the podcast, but she didn't tell this story on the podcast. But I've seen it written where she's written it on, on Facebook. But she was in somewhere in Europe a few years ago, and there was this. I don't know if she was if they came to see her, or she was just presenting at this big gathering of experts or whatever. But like there was the head of the FEI there, the head of the FEI vets. There was like the best trainers in Europe there and they had all these horses and Leslie wanted to get all of these jumping horses and dressage horses or whatever and turn them loose together in the arena. <laughs> Serious? And, yeah. And, and like the head of the FEI was like, absolutely not. You cannot do that. All the vets were like, you cannot do that. All the <laughs> whoop de doo riders from Germany and wherever were like, you cannot do that. Be- and she's like, why? She said, because, you know, all the horses are going to die basically and anyway, she did it. Turned the horses really? loose. And what did they do? They had a bit of a squeal, had a bit of a run around, and five minutes later, they're just fine. And she, in this post that she wrote, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically said, it just told me how much all these experts actually know about the nature yes. of horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what I was getting at when you said, oh, the place, the place was amazing, you know, there couldn't be any dirt on the cobblestones. Like, who gives a crap? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Leslie said, you know, all these whoop de doo experts that I, I think I'm paraphrasing, but I think she basically said that they they really had no understanding of the nature of horses themselves, which I thought was a really interesting story. Well, I think it's very true. Uh, I think they're so removed because, especially in Germany, even though we're quite a few generations down now, that that military um, perspective is when I was there was still very strong. Like, um, and so, yeah, I think that's very true in that regard. Um, the horses there, they got on the walker every morning. Yay. You know what I mean? And they were allowed to run around in the indoor, you know, maybe once a week to do some free jumping and things. Um, but they never saw a paddock. And I just think that's, really sad for the horses and it's funny and I don't know whether I should tell this story but I guess years have gone by um they would go away to comps and I'd be left with the horses and um I wasn't even we weren't even allowed to wash them they weren't they weren't hosed there they were groomed you know so I'd give them a good shampoo and get them all clean and and they had these beautiful big um I don't know what they're called but um, They're called solariums. Yeah, heat lamps that, that, that come. The big heat lamps that come. Yeah, out so there. they were nice and warm, and I'd, after I'd washed them, and and it's funny. The um, his wife always said, "How come your horses are all so shiny and lovely? Like they didn't know why mine were always cleaner than everyone else's." But oh, I don't know. You just treat them a bit more like a horse, like we do over here. It is a little different, and and um, I take them out for a pick, and we weren't far from what's called what was called the DOKR. It was the big German Olympic Center. And so I'd go off for trail rides. <laughs> so we do over here. Um, and so I remember one day I was riding this beautiful big horse. He was lovely. And um, I'd headed off to the, the centre. You had to cross a road to get there. And I'm sitting on this very expensive horse taking him for a trail ride. And um, and I remember one day I was over there. I knew he got ditched on him. I thought, oh, can you imagine losing a horse of that value? Oh, that was a bit scary. But um 
but yes, I probably um just let them be horses a little bit while I got the run of the show for a few weeks here and there. Huh. <laughs> so, um, okay, so you've come back from Germany and you've you've met Phil Rohde, and Phil's kind of you know what Phil did with the horses kind of changed your perspective on horses. So that's still. That's still a long way from the type of work that you are currently doing. So what was the, what was the next step in your evolution? Uh, well, I guess <clears throat> I, guess I met um, Ray Hunt and Buck Brenneman and they really um, secured me in um, believing that horsemanship was the way to go. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I had So I had been introduced to horsemanship, but I still went through and did my Level 1 EA accreditation um but i guess i still wasn't feeling right about what i was seeing some of the things that were going on i saw things that like are just wrong you know what i mean in that world and i'm not going to name names or anything but right i saw very top level people getting on their horse and you know the horse's ears would be flickering their eyes were looking back you know someone's just mounted these horses and these horses are like you know top level eventers and things and they're there and they're looking back, you know, and someone's just gone on and was saying, yeah, this is just not right. Like it's not, when I say not right, like it's not right for the horse. It's dangerous, you know, and those horses aren't emotionally right and they're asking to do these things. So so I guess the more I was around that world, the less I probably liked it. And I actually I actually stopped competing and um, in that world for many years. I just really just worked um breaking in young horses, breaking and starting young horses and, and teaching um, horsemanship because I just saw that it worked. It was much quicker. Like all my students like, that go through this, because I've got the blend of the English world with the horsemanship and I married the two, there's not a lot of people doing that. There, there are some. but So I just saw that my students were getting results much quicker and that was safer. And, and so I guess that's where I went with the horses but you're asking where, how did I get into the mindset work? That's what you're. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's my big interest mm. in stuff these days. You know, like as far as doing clinics these days, I, you know, you, before we got on, you said you hadn't really listened to any of the podcast episodes, so you don't know too much about me. But something, you know, years ago, I would be, a, I, you know, I'd do clinics and I'd be able to help most people, but there were some people <laughs> that I kind of just couldn't help. And I used to think that they were not good with horses. And what I've come to realise is they're not good with themselves. So true. So you know, true. They, they're really in their head. They're not in their body. Mm -hmm. um, and so these days I'm really big on the whole, um, you know, just self-awareness stuff mm -hmm. first because, you, you know, we have a, one of the podcast guests was a lady named Beth and Standig who lives around here and she's an equine-assisted uh, therapist mm -hmm. and she has this um, what she calls the four awareness channels mm -hmm. when when you're having any interaction between two sentient beings whether it's another person or a horse or whatever yeah. those birds in the background are loud aren't they <laughs> so for you guys for you guys listening um, Jennifer doesn't have pet birds this is these are wild birds outside Australia's full of parrots and there's wild birds outside her window making all sorts of noise um, and so Beth has these four awareness channels. And the first one is, what's going on with me? Yes. Number two is, what's going on with you? Yes. Number three is, what's going on between the two of us? Yeah. And number four 
is what's going on in the environment, like how loud are those birds outside your window? They're happy. What I, <laughs> what I have found is that most people who are struggling with their horses are very aware of number two and number four, yeah. what my bloody horse is doing and what in the environment's causing it with, mm-hmm. with absolutely no awareness of what's going on with me mm-hmm. and what's going between me and how much how, much, how am I influencing either negatively or positively the horse. So I've been really big into, you know, more of the self-awareness stuff for, for quite a long time and it seems like um, you are definitely into that. So where did, where did that start from? Like what was your first introduction into that sort of thing? Well, a few areas. Uh, I remember... I had a warm blood mare that I was working and working with, to say, and she was always rushing. So um, she was just always ahead of me, ahead of me, ahead of me. And I can remember this one day I uh, was down on the arena and she was rushing so much on the forehand and just not there and she tripped over and went down on her knees. I came off and I just remember walking up the the house that day just crying like I was just in tears just going what is it that I don't know what is it you know and that night I guess I had a really big soul search I went what do I need to know to get this working better for for me and this horse and so that night I went and watched the Sally Swift tapes the centered riding I went and watched Mm -hmm. a Nuno Oliveira old video of him and Something else. Um, yeah, and I and I go, okay, all right, maybe I need to be more centred and grounded on the horse. Maybe I, my breathing needs to change. Maybe my peripheral vision needs to change. And I know in the Nuno um, Oliveira um, video, he said that you, your base needs to be um, more grounded. You know, he showed one of those rocking things that you punch and you need to be like that. Yeah. And it put a picture in my mind. Now, I'd have been riding this horse for a couple of years, been to a few Ray Hunt clinics, which was horrendous for me on this horse. And um, that next day I went down and I implemented these things because this wasn't about the horse. This was about me. Yeah. And nobody necessarily taught me this stuff, but what happened is I learned to slow my rise down, to slow the speed of my rise. I learned to um, get a bit more grounded in my body on the horse. And this is no word of a lie. Um, that day she would have changed 60%. And within the next probably two weeks, I could actually walk, trot and counter that horse on a loose rein. Now there's two parts to that. One, I felt terribly guilty <laughs> that I'd been, it was my energy that was racing that horse constantly. You know, I am a high energy person. You know, I'm, <laughs> that's who I am in general. So I had to learn to slow down. I had to learn to take more time and start looking at me, not her. And that probably was a really big awareness in it's not about her, it's about me. And so, yeah, I think that was probably a big a big start for me as far as um, seeing my relationship to the results I was getting, I guess. See, with show jumping, it's not so bad. You just want them to go... You, you want them traveling a fair bit, but in day-to-day life and you just want to be able to go for a ride. I remember just saying, I just want to go for a ride when my horse isn't tanking on me. And I'm, I would say that in the horse world, there'd be so many who understand that and who ride thoroughbreds or that style of horse. You just want to go for a ride. 
So yeah, so that would be probably one of the things. Um, but I guess if we're going to get really personal, I actually got sick um, when I was um, in my 20s. And yeah, I got, well, I got, uh, they discovered that I had a, um, a condition called endometriosis. And that was probably really where things started to shift because I, I started a, a girlfriend. Um, she was actually into horsemanship as well. She handed me this book. And um, it was about basically metaphysics, how your thoughts can create your um, you know, physical ailments. And I'm reading this book and I'm looking at this going, oh, my God. What, which book was it? Uh, it was Louise Hay. Um, it was a little blue book. But a little blue okay. book. I, I, I thought it might have been The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Yeah, I've, like I've got that one as well, um, which I believe in 100% on that. But, um, no, uh, Louise Hay's got, um, I think, one is You Can Heal Your Life. That was probably one I read. And, and this little blue yep. book was in the little blue book. It just has every condition, so every illness, and then the mindset or belief next to it so, that you would have. So, so yeah, so, like, I'm sick and um, I was trying to have a – I was trying to get pregnant with my husband. And so it probably, yeah, probably affected me a fair bit just starting to learn that um, – things aren't as they seem and you've really got to start looking at how you're thinking and how your mindset is creating, you know, your health, um, your happiness and your overall, you know, vibration that you're going through life with, I guess. I'm getting a bit deep down the rabbit hole now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so cool though because, you know, it's like you were the, you, you know, you were the jumping girl that had the problem warm blood and then you meet Phil and then, oh, now I see that completely differently. Then you read this Louise Hay book and you're like, whoa, mm -hmm. now I see everything else differently. And, you know, it's, it's that, you know, you, I said it before, I think, you know, you can't unsee that stuff. When mm -hmm. you, when you um, become aware of that, stuff it's not like you can almost go oh yeah i've seen that now i'm going back to the way i no. was it's, <laughs> it doesn't work like that <laughs> you, you, you can't you, you, you can't do that ignorance you know? is not bliss necessarily <laughs> yeah yeah that's so did did you um so did you recover from the endometriosis well i certainly learned uh that my diet was a major contributor um being a um, bit of a wild child, I used to eat Cocoa Pops and ice cream and probably McDonald's and didn't really eat any salad till about 28. And then I started to go, oh, this diet's probably not really good. So I learned that. So I got myself on a fresh uh, food diet, you know, started to eat salads and healthy foods. Did you, did you find that... Um... Did you find that the foods you were eating were, you know, did you find that there was a mindset behind why you were eating those things? Was it a, was it a, you know, like a, a, a coping strategy thing? Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. You know, yes. do you listen to yeah. Brene Brown at all? Yeah. And I remember reading a book of hers years ago and she's talking about uh, numbing behaviors. And, you know, she's talking about 
uh, she's actually said she was talking to a, like a, someone who used to be a heroin addict and he'd been clean for 20 years mm-hmm. and she's talking about numbing behaviors and he said do you mean me spending three hours a day on facebook is the same as shooting up and she's like pretty much yeah you've just mm-hmm. got a different drug of choice did you find that your did you did you come to the conclusion that your eating was was a coping thing or not I just don't think that in my family of origin we were taught to eat well I think um yes the things I was eating was definitely a sugar hit so you look Mm -hmm. at the things like um, do I still love Cocoa Pops? Absolutely. Do I still love ice cream? Absolutely. Like it's they're awesome. I know, <laughs> but I'm certainly learned that you know when you get on the fresh diet, and well, I can talk about this later. But I've got a whole program now on fresh eating, and and when I say fresh eating, I don't mean rice and pasta. I mean something that's growing, and right. yeah, but we can talk about that. But I will say one thing, and I this is just my observation, and I know that you know some of the elite horsemen probably don't agree with this but my awareness that if i've eaten steak or something heavy my energy doesn't flow with the horse's good just my little belief there well you know i i wouldn't say i wouldn't probably call it a belief as in other people don't believe it i think you've got to be at a certain level of self-awareness yeah to be able to tell the difference. Mm. That's, I, I think that's, I'm having a guess here, but I'm guessing that's, it's not that you believe that story and someone else doesn't believe that story. I think, I, I think you've got to be at a certain level of self-awareness to be able to tell the difference between the two. Mm. You know, you've got to be tuned into you and tuned into your horse and, you know, you've got to have a pretty clear mind to do that. Do you, do you have a meditation practice? Do you meditate at all? Yeah, I've actually, in my program, I've got a whole, I've got, hypnotic meditation so i've written some um some programs with um meditation but with hypnotic so it's guided meditation it's got hypnotic suggestion within them so that's your program i've produced so yeah oh wow we'll have to get (laughs) when we when we we're going to get through all the parts of getting there first okay so you had to so you changed your diet that helped quite a bit oh straight away i think you can if you get onto a fresh food diet, any sort of illness is going to start heading the other direction because you're alkalizing the body. So, I mean, it's probably a bit personal on a podcast, but you know, every month with my periods, I'd be like just in agony, and then you're trying to ride horses and do stuff. So as soon as I cleaned all that up and, and got on a fresh food diet, my whole yeah, my whole world changed a lot. So I felt a lot healthier in that regard. Um, was it was it personally hard to stick to that diet? Like, did you have the cravings for the sugary stuff? You know, I actually believe if you can hang in there for seven days, you you're right. I don't think it takes that long to um, to get on those kicks and and do it. Um, certainly, twenty one days, and you actually don't like the taste of the sugary things. That's been mm. my observation. If you can if you can hang in there for three weeks. You know, you eat something sweet and go, oh, that's a bit sweet. So, um, but I know, you know, lives get busy. I know I'm super busy at the moment. Sometimes you just go and have a hit of something sugary because you just got to keep going. And it's probably, I think we're all human in that regard too. So, Oh, yeah. You know, but I think also think it's a big part of it is your your perception or your, or your outlook on what you're actually 
eating. I know, I know. I've you know, you know so if, you're, if you're eating healthy and you're thinking, oh, God, this stuff tastes so boring. It tastes like shit. I wish I was having something, you know, with a lot more taste. Instead of, it's the same, you're eating the same thing. But if you look at it and you think about this as nourishing me and it's good for me, and you can do the opposite with the sugary stuff too. You can think, oh, this stuff tastes so good. Mm. Or you can think how bad it is for you, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a really big believer in the whole, you know, you, you create your own reality yes. by the way you tend to, to view things. And I, I imagine it's the same with the food too. Yeah, I saw something or read something and I was thinking about it only in the last day, how people can be cigarette smokers and, you know, only eat meat and do things like that. But if they've got the right mindset and vibration, it doesn't seem to affect them so much. You ever notice that? Like, I'm not saying I'm not well, saying go out and be a smoker or anything, but yeah. Well, I, you know what, I went to I flew to LA last year, the year before, I can't remember what it was, and did a, a energy healing ceremony with a Native American shaman, and he was talking about smoke, and he was saying that there really wasn't uh, lung cancer with Indigenous people and smoke. Because of the way they viewed it, yes. Okay. You know, it was uh, the it, you know when you were smoking, you weren't thinking, oh, "This thing's bad for me." That's that's the thing. They've got it on the packets and everything now. Ooh. Right. Um. You know, and I years ago I worked for a, a wealthy client of mine. He was actually he was a he was a um his wife was the client of mine, but I ended up working for him personally, you know, privately for, him for three years. And he was a he was the biggest headhunter in Silicon Valley. So he was an IT executive oh, recruiter. Okay. He's actually the guy that recruited um, Tim Cook for Steve Jobs to take over okay. um, Apple. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he was a cool dude, like the, the coolest guy ever. But he had he had their, uh, their gardener used to have, you know, he had a gardener that used to do all the gardening for them and grow all their veggies and stuff. And he used to juice wheatgrass. Mm-hmm. So he'd do wheatgrass shots. So he grows the wheatgrass and puts them yeah. in the juicer and he would mm-hmm. do the, the wheatgrass shots. And, and one day I was up at the up at the big house on the ranch there and and uh, Rick was his name. Rick said, do you want to do a wheatgrass shot? And I said, mm, okay, I'll do a wheatgrass shot. Whether well, you go first. <laughs> and so he gets this little wheatgrass shot yeah. and he gets a wheatgrass shot and he looks at it and he kind of closed his eyes and he he kind of mumbles it to himself for like 30 seconds. And then he does the wheatgrass shot. And I said, what was, what was that all about there, Rick? And he goes, well, the thing about the wheatgrass is it is, tastes so disgusting that if you don't tell your body that it's good for it, it will kind of reject all the, all the vitamins and stuff in it. You won't get the benefit out of it. And I said, well, see, Rick, that's why I don't eat don't have to do wheatgrass shots because if I eat a nice steak with a big juicy piece of fat on the side of it, <laughs> I, I think of that as the healthiest thing my body can eat. I don't eat much red meat anymore, but yeah. back then, you know, I said, I look at that as like, that is the healthiest thing my body can eat right now. And it manifests. Uh, it, exactly. You know, it utilizes it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and he looked at me, he goes, well, well that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I said, yes, it does. If your wheatgrass works that way, this works that way because it's exactly the same thing. But my big pet peeve with food and women, I don't have a pet peeve with women, but my pet peeve with food and women is you go in the, in the you know, we call it a paper shop in Australia. It's, it's where you buy all your magazines and stuff. 
every woman's magazine has the word guilt I in the front know. of it. A, a guilt-free recipe, meaning yeah. if you're not if you're not if you're if you're eating real food, mm-hmm. you've got to be guilty for it. And this recipe mm-hmm. will stop you from feeling guilty. And I mean that that's you know, when I first met my wife Robin, she was a aerobics instructor who ate less than 10 grams of fat a day fat was the devil oh okay yeah and you can you can you can breathe 10 grams of fat of air i think yeah yeah, yeah. but she used to eat all this low fat no fat stuff and then years later she comes to realize oh just a chemical shit storm yeah you know but she thought she thought what she was taking in was good because there's no fat in it because fat was the the enemy Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i bought a book in australia on a trip one time called the big fat lie Okay. It was actually written by a, a lady who was a food critic for, you know, big newspapers or magazines in New York, I think. And so she'd mm-hmm. go to all these restaurants to, to critique their food. But because it was free, she didn't get to choose what they gave her. They gave, they bought her the food. And she said she was eating all this stuff with all these really rich, creamy sauces and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And she wasn't gaining weight and she was eating out every night and eating all this stuff okay. that she thought should make her fat. And she's like, well, what, what's the deal? And she started looking into like the Inuit uh, Eskimos who just eat blubber, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, and started looking into all sorts of things. And it turned out that the, the guy that um, invented the K-ration, so if you, you know, like American army rations are called K-rations, and mm-hmm. this guy's name started with a K, but he was a nutritionist or something or other, but he developed those. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he had, this, he had this idea. There was a, At the time, there was a, an epidemic of heart disease in America. This is in the, like, the 50s, I think. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, he came up with the idea that fat is what's causing it. Right. And so he got the backing of the American Heart Association early on, and it didn't matter if he if someone published a two-page article in the american medical journal or whatever it is about how fat is not the bad guy he would publish a six-page article totally oh. refuting it oh, okay. and it was, it was like this big you know like these days you know that fat's actually good for you mm-hmm. i'm not saying eat it all day every day but you know that like you know who tim ferris is yes <laughs> like tim ferris went to brazil or something or other somewhere in south america and lived on a fatty meat diet and was down to like Eight percent body fat or something or other. Like he was ripped oh, yeah, on, a, yeah, yeah, on yeah. a fatty meat diet. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, sorry, I got on a tangent about food, food there. But but when you said about the the food, you know, I I really feel sorry for women because there's that whole stigma about eating. And like I said, every magazine's got guilt free on the front of it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you stop believing that stuff because it, you know, then you eat something that could be good for you and you perceive it as bad for you you know uh it's funny i'm very particular about what i what people's what i hear and what people say and and so i've got a philosophy like if you're going to eat it eat it and and enjoy it or don't put it in your mouth if you're going to feel guilty don't don't eat it and be guilty you either eat it and enjoy it and go that's okay but when you get into that um oh i'm having an extra bit of cake don't do that because it's you're putting it on like you just right yeah yeah so, yeah. Imagine, I might as well get into it now. Imagine there's some NLP stuff in that too, isn't there? Well, NLP is all about language and modeling, and certainly, but I think even before I learned NLP, 
um, very particular. Like even yesterday I was in the car with someone and they were on the phone to a relative and every second thing was he said, how are you going? And then the relative said, oh, you know, such and such just got cancer and such and such is not well and such and such, you know, and I'm just thinking, Oh my God, like I didn't want to hear it. I actually wished I could have put headphones in at the time so I didn't have to hear this conversation because I don't like I don't want to feed that into my mind. I'm very careful what I what I listen to, who I'm around, um, because you're just setting yourself up mentally for things. So Yeah. So we'll get okay, we'll get into them because <laughs> I really want to ask about NLP. Yeah. NLP later on. So sorry. Then we'll, you you were talking about you changed your diet, and then I got really off track on the whole uh, well, you food asked, thing. Um, look, I mean, the short story is it didn't help my fertility. Um, I probably learnt these things maybe a little late and things, but um, but it certainly once I learnt the diet, it certainly and that my mindset was contributing to my um, illnesses. Uh, well, illness. Um, yeah, it, it certainly changed things and. Like I'm so healthy these days. Like <laughs> you know, I'm for another thirty years down the track, but I'm I'm heaps healthier and than I probably was in my twenties, really. So, right. Um, uh, so, what was the next uh, step of your evolution? You, know, you so you've changed your mm. diet and you've what's the what's the what's the next? Step? Oh, Did I you... know, I know. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think myself. I went to an Anthony Robbins seminar. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's right. I was up, up late one night and I was a little bit unhappy because obviously, you know, I had an infertility thing going on, probably wasn't helping my relationship with my husband. And, and um, so I was sitting up one night watching this um, infomercial with Tony Robbins and I said, right, I'm going, we're going to this. And so we had to put it on our credit card at the time. And my husband's just going, oh, no, what's she dragging me off to? So we went. Oh, your husband went too? Oh, yeah, well, yes. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yes, he went too. And um, and we went to um, Unleash the Power Within. Uh, we have the fire walking. Um, you did the fire walk? I've done it twice, yes. yes. Have you? Okay, yeah. Uh, I've, been to, I've been to Unleash the Power Within five times now. <laughs> so I'm probably a bit of a junkie with that. But um, that first one. Yeah, so we went there and I just learned so much. I, I was so intrigued with what he was teaching at this seminar that I didn't even want to go for a pee. I'd run to the toilet and go to the toilet and come back because I thought I would miss something. And, uh, and you know, I learned lots from the seminar. Um, the firewalk, the firewalk really is to, to show you that if you can focus your mind and be singularly focused, um, you know, you won't burn your feet. <laughs> but if you start thinking about burning your feet, you're going to burn your feet. Were there people there right, that yep. got scalded feet? Yes. Really? <laughs> no, it's not child's play. So, um, but yeah, so I, um, I went there and, and he also goes into a lot of diet um, aspects as well. So, and uh, so, but what I really got from that seminar, like there's obviously lots, but, what I came away from that is, and I'd say anyone who's listening to this, I had, I've got two arms, I've got two legs, I've got a brain, I can go and do anything I want. And I know that sounds a big hairy goal, but he made me believe in me. You know, a three or four day seminar, I came away going, well, you know, why can't I? Why can't I do these things, you know? So I came home and um, I think within probably three weeks, 
I'd already had a beautiful arena at home and so within three weeks I set up an equestrian centre and started coaching. I already had my qualifications. Like I was already accredited. Maybe I just didn't feel confident enough or something. But yep. so I came home and set it all up, wrote a program, wrote a training program that I was bringing my students through. And, yeah, within three weeks I started my own business, which ended up being quite big and successful. Um, yeah, teaching predominantly juniors. But, yeah, so so that was, um, yeah, that was a pretty big step I guess did your what did your husband think of it well see you can lead a horse to water <laughs> he when um, you go through this um, Tony Robbins says find your biggest fears and he wants you to work on those fears in the, within this environment so some people work on surface fears whoops some people work on their surface fears and some people work, work on the real work. Um, when we were there, my husband, like he he took on board what was being said and and got into it. But, and I love him dearly, like we're not together now, but we parted well. But two days later he was back to his old ways. So in the environment he, he listened and he, and he got stuff out. Of, and even when he came home he was telling people how good it was. But couple of days later he'd gone back to where he was at and I hadn't I'd got I'd taken this information and run and probably that was where there was a big change in in the two of us because I was on a growth I was on a a growth journey at that point so um yeah yeah that that was one of the reasons I asked because when you you know when you're in a committed relationship and you you know, you start to change the way you view the world mm. unless both of them change. Like I, I've, <laughs> my clinics have been the um, catalyst for a number of divorces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, year, maybe years later, yeah. but yeah. it was the start of, and some of them were, some of them were, uh, you know, the, like the divorce came about because initially they started like, well, I look at horse at working with horses totally different than 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 you do, you know, sort of thing. But then that seeps over into other parts of your life, and they just grow further and further apart. And then they then there's kind of like, oh, why have I been with you all this long? You know, I've never really thought that way. You know, what I mean, it's it, mm. it kind of unraveled some stuff. And then sometimes from the clinics, it's the people, um, you know, just realizing they need to do the the inner work sort of thing and, and you know you know just like with you and your husband at the tony robbins thing you mm-hmm. can you can um go separate ways i've been very lucky that my wife has um kind of joined me down the rabbit hole that's so, cool yeah uh yeah and you know for the longest time so i've been doing ice baths for quite a while quite a couple of years now at least mm-hmm. um and the cold was the one thing she said, I would never do that, never do that, never do that. But she listens to lots of podcasts and she's been listened to, had been listening to enough to where she's like, I think the, I think the cold actually is going to be good for me. So she started with, she started doing it the right way, just having, turning her showers down a little bit at the end, okay, you know, and then more and then until she could turn it all the way down at the end. And then here, I don't know, it's probably been maybe three months now. She's, I've got a chest freezer out in the, in the in the garage yeah do ice baths and she started doing 
ice baths and I've usually have mine about 48 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about eight degrees Celsius. Okay. So it's pretty chilly. Yeah. But anyway, once Robin started doing them, like her first one was at 76 degrees, which is about 24 or something Celsius. So nice and warm. And she thought that was cold. Ah, it was okay. just basically water out of the tap. I was going to say. Up with. It wasn't plugged in yet. Um, but then she worked her way down. Then she worked her way down to the high, I, we measured in 50s here, but she was like 52 or something or other. And then she's working her way down to like 48 where I normally have it. And then she listened to this podcast that said, you're not affecting the vagus nerve until it's under 45. So what does she do? Screw the 48. She's doing the 45. Oh, <laughs> well, and, <fine>. um, <laughs> and she does it every day now. And what it's, it's so cool to watch her do it because you get in <clears throat> and you control your breathing, you know, you control your from going into the sympathetic nervous system. But what I love, and it's not, she doesn't do it as much anymore because it's not as exhilarating, but at the end, when two minutes goes off and she would kind of, her, her <laughs> eyes would pop open and it's just like, I won, I beat that <laughs> son of a bitch sort of a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. But the cold, you were saying something a minute ago about the, about the, uh, about the food. Um, the cold is kind of the same thing. If you reject the cold, like if you think how cold it is, oh, it's bloody painful. It is horrible. Mm, you know, yeah. it's like a lesson in acceptance. Like you've got to go, this is good for me. Robin's got this um, audio that she listens to, has a coach coach her through the thing and, and, uh, and it says, you know, it says all things like, you know, you can do this and, and this is what it feels like to be cold. You can melt the cold and, you know, but it's... it's okay, yeah. It's... Well, but no anyway, suggestion. I'm so proud of her because she's really embraced it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. She, she's, yeah, and it's and it's helping her. She recently had a, a bit of a, a medical procedure that, and you know, Robin has some like health anxiety. Like if she's got to have anything done to her, she thinks she tends to think the worst is going to happen, mm -hmm. and so she can get kind of worried about things. And she had a bit of a medical procedure a couple of days ago, and she was so different she was so strong ah, for her yeah and i said do you think it got anything to do with the ice baths and she looked at me and all of a sudden you can see the thing ticking over in her head like oh yeah because when you it's mm -hmm. just oh, that's that's what made me think of it the firewalk thing sorry that's mm -hmm. what it was when you said if, if you yes. can focus your mind you can walk across the the coals and not burn your feet but if you can't focus your mind if you think your feet are going to get burnt they get burnt mm -hmm. that's what made me think of that whole story the ice bath yes. is the same thing if you think it's cold it's going to be cold. Mm. If you just focus on the negative, mm -hmm. it's, it is nasty. It is no fun at all. But if you focus on the, you know, focus on controlling your breathing, that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. But anyway, she's, she's bought into it. So, yeah, I think with the whole personal growth stuff, it's, it's sometimes hard in relationships when one is all in and one's not. Want to support the Journey On podcast and get access to exclusive interviews? Become a Patreon member today. With Patreon, you can ask questions to upcoming guests and receive behind-the-scenes content. Check out the Patreon link in the description to browse membership options and subscription perks. Yeah, I think it's um, a huge problem. I think it's the difference between conscious and unconscious living. And when you're not both living consciously, you're letting your patterns come and interfere in things and all sorts of things. So, but we can get into that one. 
Yeah. Okay, so Tony Robbins, then what happens? Tony Robbins, oh, well, then I probably became a personal development junkie and I probably, it's probably not too many. I haven't been to, you know, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra. Um, oh, really? Yeah. How was Deepak? Is he cool? Deep, yeah. Synchronicity of something, your, dest- your destiny or something. Oh, yeah, fairly, fairly deep. Um and Wayne Dyer, I, 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 every clinic I do, most things I do, I quote Wayne Dyer and he says, when you change the way Green. you look at things, the things, things you look at change. Yeah. I, love, I just love that. That's that is so, so true. Mm. And it's so profound. Once you, once you change, like you, like what you did say with the horsemanship thing, you know, once you change the way you look at one thing and it changes that thing forever, then you start to look at, well, what else do I look at mm. with a certain lens? You know what I mean? Well, just what you said, that is my whole work. So my whole life's work comes down to what you've just said. Um, have you heard of um, Hono Pono Pono? You know, it's funny. I had Linda Tellington Jones on the podcast a while ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the first things she started talking about. Yeah. That is profound. Absolutely profound. Yeah, and it's it's so deep down the rabbit hole that it, it can be a little bit overwhelming because then you think, who am I? Who are you? Who are we? How how much can you um, create your own reality? Uh, are you reality shifting? Like, what can you actually achieve? And oh my goodness, I think it's actually quite exciting, and I actually pretty much do it every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's so it's so cool. Um... Are you into quantum physics at all? That's what my whole Make Happier Habit program is on. It's based on. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, once, once you, not that I understand quantum physics, <laughs> I'm no scientist, but once you understand that the, the observer effect and that everything's energy yeah. and, yeah, it's just like, okay, there's all these, there's all these realities that are available just to, Hmm. To yeah, focus on the moment. Okay, so yeah, we've gone so, deep down into the rabbit hole. Just well, then. no, this is this is good. So uh, Wayne Dyer, Deepak. Well, who else? You who oh, else you been seeing? I can't even think. Like I've done. Uh, well, some some of the courses have been live courses. Some yep. have been like um, you know, the Joe Dispenza work. I was going to say, have you got into Doctor Joe? Oh, yet? I love him. Um, who's my favorite at the moment? I like um Gary Zukov. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and here we go. <laughs> now we're going down the rabbit hole. Um, do you know um, Abraham and Esther and Jerry Hicks? You know what? I've got a book here that someone sent me. So isn't that the isn't that the channeling thing? Yes. Yes. I, I haven't I haven't read it yet. Is that is that Seth? Is that the different uh, different person? Um, Abraham is Abraham, and I think they got introduced through an entity called Seth. Okay. (laughs) But, I mean, anyone who's going through anything challenging, if they just look up Abraham and Esther Esther and Jerry Hicks stuff, there's so much stuff on YouTube, and it'll just make you feel better. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's it's very good stuff. Yeah, that's all that. Yeah, that stuff's amazing. Um, What about, um, so Dr. Joe, you and Dr. Joe. um, I can't even think of all the people I've, I've followed and, and been to Gary, Gary Zukov, that's the seat of the soul, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I really yeah. enjoy his um principles. 
tell you what I did here, and this is from, have you heard of Ram Das or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going into deep things here. Um, if you're talking about profound things that you've learned over the years, um, one of the things I learned um, in that was about love and how the story goes, and, and I'm this is a very brief explanation of this story. Apparently there was a, a gentleman who had his um, guru in India and the guru was dying and whenever he was in the presence of this guru, he felt euphoric, he felt amazing. And so what happened is this guru was dying and, and he went to him and said, how am I ever going to feel like this again? He said, what, what, what is it that you had that made me feel like this in your presence? It's going to give me goosebumps just telling you this. But he said, I let you love me. And I've never forgotten that. It's been one of the most profound things because we're so busy thinking we have to love others and love people and love this, but maybe we have to be a clear vessel to allow them to flow their love and that's where the um, the big gift is because, yeah, that was really yeah, profound. But, you know, I don't think that's as easy as it sounds because oh, the, no. reason, <laughs> the reason we don't let others love us is we have these we have these shields up because we can't we can't let our true selves be seen you know and it's yeah i think the work is breaking down those you know i I love it i love it when i meet somebody who's so we've got these questions later on (laughs) and and one of the questions that you didn't choose but some people have chosen uh was uh one of the questions is what quality do you admire in other people in one of the podcasts, I did a podcast on all the 20 questions. I said, I'm going to answer. These are the questions I give to my guests, but I'm yeah, going yeah. to go through and answer every single one of them. And my answer for um, what quality do you admire in other people, I, well, I, I said what I used to admire in other people, but then I said, but the quality I, I admire now is openness. Like people yeah, that you, you talk to them and you just get this, you get mm. this vibe off them to what yes. like this. There's no, they're not hiding anything from you. Yes. There's, there's no shield up and it's a, it's a feeling you get from them. There's a, an energy that just comes off them that's mm. just so pure, so to speak. And it's like, oh, I want to, I want to be that person. I want to mm-hmm. get rid of all these yeah. facades that you build up around each yeah. other and, and, and around yourself. And uh, yeah, that's, I, that's, that's, that's the quality I admire in other people at the moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's the the journey, isn't it? The journey of clearing. And that's what my whole work is on. It's clearing the the beliefs, the patterns and the behaviors that take you away from love or you know that create you know a person being triggered or a person judging or the more you can strip away those beliefs and mindsets, the clearer you are. And then you don't see you don't see people in a negative light because you just see their pure essence as well. If you're coming from an essence of love, then you can just see someone, not their behaviour, but see who they really are underneath that. But I think that is our journey. I think as humans, um, you know, that's what, if we work towards being clearer, then we present in a way that people feel more comfortable around us as well. And You know, you mentioned Ram Das. And what's 
interesting about him is, you know, him and, him and Timothy Leary back in the Stanford days did a lot of LSD. I know. And I remember reading a, a Ram Dass uh, book and he was talking about they used to do a lot of LSD and they would have these, you know, experiences, these otherworldly experiences, mind-expanding experiences. But he said, then I realised that the point of doing the LSD is to show him what's possible and then he had to figure out how do I do it with it. I know what's possible. I know what ways of thinking are possible. Now I've got to be able to do that without the LSD. And so that's when he went to India and and uh, mm-hmm. found his guru. And and but yeah, he, he you know he said that the 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 LSD was mind expanding. But then you needed the LSD again the next time to do the same thing. And he wanted to figure out how to do it mm-hmm. without the without the um the lsd you know I, I in that book he was talking about when he came back from india and he was doing lots of um you know talks around the country this is in the early 70s i think and most of the people that came to his talks were like young and dressed in white robes and that sort of thing and he said one time he's talking and there's this little old lady sitting in the front row and she's got like patent leather shoes on and a knitted cardigan and a skirt you know and her little frilly shirts buttoned up to her neck sort of thing <laughs> and he said so and she was sitting there wrapped like just glued to him listening to every word he said <laughs> and he said to her so so what brings you what brings you here like how did you come to be here and she goes oh why i knit she knits and so what i got from that was when she knits she is just in the moment. She is in the present. She's cross one, pearl one or whatever you call it. You know what I mean? She is in the moment. My mum used to knit all our jumpers and stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. And she would sit there at night time and she'd just, just be in the, in, the, in the moment, you know. So, yeah, knitting might do it too. <laughs> okay, so what, what, what came next? You, said, you were so down the rabbit hole. What, oh, what came well. next? You want vulnerability. This is going to be a bit of a story, and I'll, I'll try not to cry. <laughs> I do have skills that I should be able to keep myself together. Um, look, it doesn't matter who you are. Things are going to happen in life. I just happen to do it at a bigger, at a bigger level sometimes. So I had the writing school, and I saw the impact I was um, able to have on so many children, like just you know, teaching them um, how they thought and and giving them self-confidence and self-belief. And so I was really impacting like a whole generation at my centre. It would be nothing to have 30, 50 kids on a weekend come through the place. So it, it ended up quite big. But I guess I was sort of thinking, how can I take this message to a bigger audience? And anyway, within the, the writing centre, the um, pony power concept was born, which I actually didn't mention this in our little chat. So so I actually developed a whole TV series called Pony Power and there was a pony fairy involved. And and so what the concept was, it was a book series. I've actually got one of the books here. I'm going to show you. It was a book series and uh, there's, um, there's one of the books, No More Nightmares. So that was a story about how, you know, to think happy thoughts before you go to sleep. So you uh-huh. don't have nightmares and things and oh, there's wow. the, the pony fairy that was my warm blood that's actually a real shot not a counseling character 
But um, anyway, so the pony, um, how pony fairy concept was born. And being a bit of a out there person, I actually sold my equestrian centre to follow this dream and I moved um, back, uh, moved to my mum's property um, and she was married to, um, she, she had remarried. And so we set that up, we did all the old stables up and made it beautiful and we built a film studio there and we filmed a pilot for this series and we took it to the networks. And I got a call back from the ABC, um, you know, in Australia. Um, They said, we love the concept. Um, They wanted me to change a few things because at the time it had children riding these ponies. So it was based on six little Welsh mountain ponies, all different colours, and they all had an archetype, you know, so they had a character. Okay. And uh, and so they wanted me to change a few things. They said there's too many moving parts with children being filmed and they can only work, you know, 50 minutes every hour. They can't start before six. And so I changed the concept to just one human character, which was human, like a fairy, the pony fairy, and she narrated the stories. And the ponies would go out and do the adventures. And each story had a very specific message, whether it be to believe in yourself or, you know, be kind or it was all mindset driven. Anyway, so we were there. I was filming the second pilot to take back to the ABC and um, I had a bit more to do. And my mum got ill and um, she got pneumonia and was taken to hospital. And so (laughs) I'll hang in there with this story. So she was in hospital and she was very ill, um, but she survived that. It took six weeks and she came out. Anyway, she was out of hospital one day and she had a stroke and she died. Um, so that's and anyone who's lost a parent knows it's a challenging situation. But it left me in a very vulnerable position because, you know, when two people are married, everything goes to the spouse. So now I was on a property and my stepfather owned the lot and I had no no leases in place. It was a you know, family thing. There was a lot of money involved on my mum's side. And uh, anyway, within four weeks of my mum dying, he died, he kicked me off the property. Um, you know, it was basically around money. So I found myself with a team of you know, close to 20 trick-trained ponies and horses and for this film project because every horse had a, every pony had a double in case something happened. And and um, so I had no home, no income because I was also still teaching there and um, I was stuffed. <laughs> like basically the day that um, we got home from the funeral, I found um, the children to my stepfather in mum's office going through her bank account seeing how much money was there. It was just like, yeah, it was, I was like, oh, my God, I am in so much trouble here. So, yeah, so four weeks to the day um, I was, yeah, told to vacate the property. And so, yeah, I was stuffed. So I basically, um, yeah, had nowhere to go. I had to sell these ponies and it was hard because I'd spent so much time, like, finding that quality of pony because I had very beautiful Welsh ponies but training them to, rear and bow and do all the things they needed to do for the series. Um, So I had to sell the team. Um, Basically my dream was in tatters. Um, I was able to keep my pally, I've got one pally, um, border horse, and um, 
and a pony and I even had to give one of my dogs away. I was just stuffed. <laughs> anyway, um, so I went into a fairly big depression, you'd have to say. You know, you're dealing with grief um, and losing a parent, but I lost um, my home, my income, my mom, all within four weeks. And um, but that wasn't really cool. <laughs> so, I mean, I knew that I had to um, be very mentally strong and focused because in those moments you really need to walk your talk. Um, however, um, I was living in the back shed at someone's one of my students' properties and I, was, I wasn't in a good state. So hence, instead of just going into a decline, I went, well, I need to shift myself here because I'm not good. You know, anyone who's listening to this, you know, chances are there's times in your life that you're not travelling well and, and I identified that. But I think because of my background with horses and I, and I often wonder what makes one person search for answers and one person wallow in the situation. That one question is something that interests me a lot. But I did choose to start searching for answers, like how can I get out of this situation because, you know, I wasn't good. And so at one of the Anthony Robbins seminars, I was in line to get a drink or something and there was this jovial bloke behind me and we got chatting. And, um, you know, he's a, he was a younger fellow and had lots of life about him and we must have exchanged Facebook, you know, names or something and he was on my Facebook feed. And he used to put these posts up about how he can, you know, help you if you've got depression or anxiety or he can help you. And, and I just got to a point where I needed to do something. And so... Um, I booked in a, a call with him and, and he basically persuaded me to do a session with him. Now, it was $4,000 to do a session with him, so, you know, it wasn't cheap and I right. just lost everything. But he said, well, you can pay it off and I just needed to trust someone. You know, sometimes you just need to have some faith in someone somewhere along the way. So enter the NLP. So he um, he did a thing called a breakthrough session with me and um, it was, um, yeah, timeline therapy, NLP, and there's a couple of other tools within NLP. And we did three sessions. And at the end of that week, I had no anxiety, no depression, and I was actually waking up happy every day. It was so amazing. I would wake up in the morning and I would check in with myself and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I actually, until you get rid of your anxiety, you don't know how bad it is until you haven't got it anymore. That's one thing. Right, I it's, really it's, your, it's your normal. You don't know how unnormal it is until you don't yeah. feel it anymore. Yeah. yeah, so I'd like I'd wake up, my eyes would wake up, and I remember, you know, when I was not go, good, you'd wake up every morning and you were in complete angst. Like your, your stomach would be tight and you're just wondering whether you can get through the day. And then, you know, a week later I'm like waking up happy and I honestly probably thought it was – not going to last. You know, when you're like, has something good happened, you just go, ah, this, and I'd wake up every day going, oh, I'm still all right. Everything's good. And it made such a change in my life. I went, I have to go learn this. I have to go and become a, a practitioner because how can anyone be this good and just gone through what I've gone through? And so, yeah, I didn't know we were going to share that story. But anyway, so, yes, yeah, so I went and became, um, like, I'm a, I'm a master practitioner in NLP, timeline therapy and hypnotherapy. And um, Was there any hypnosis involved in his sessions? 
No, there wasn't actually. Yeah. Um, okay. The timeline therapy, um, it's a process where you um, go back along a timeline and you re release, remove any um, emotions from the past. And I had a fair few at that point. You know, I'd gone through a divorce and, you know, infertility situations. So I probably had a fair bit. The funny thing is when I booked in with him, I had a pack of tissues there. I went, oh, my God. I remember the morning I had was having the first session. I thought, here we go. I'm going to have to tell some total stranger all my, you know, darkest you know, things that I've probably lived with. And But it's not like that at all. They don't even need to know circumstances. They, like, well, as a therapist now. All I have to do is find the emotion. Just find the emotion that you're feeling and we can remove it or release it is a better way of putting it. So, so that's how I got into the NLP. And, yeah, so uh, this, you do your practitioner level and you do your master practitioner level. And so I've done both those now and, and work with people on that level. And you just see them change. Like someone can be living with anxiety for 20, 30, 40 years and, boom, it's gone. Like it's just... I think for me, I'm actually on a mission now to get the word out that these processes are available because most people think, oh, I've got to go on antidepressants or I've got to go to talk therapy or I hit the bottle and gamble and do porn or whatever people do. Um, so these methods are so available and so quick. You know, people, like I've got you know, people that send me testimonials and go, you've changed my life, which I know because my mate Luke did it for me so yeah so that's where that came from <laughs> okay so we've got a lot of the story here okay so your little bio thing says runs unbridled the mind equine therapy retreats for adults and troubled teens can you tell us a bit about that that sounds very cool yeah I love doing that work uh it's based on mindset so we do theory in the morning and then we work with the horses in the afternoon the theory is definitely you know even just someone learning that a thought creates an emotion just that one thing like there's a couple of main key things that i teach in the theory part but yeah so when people start to realize that their thoughts create emotions then they can start going well when i'm feeling bad what am i thinking about this taking me down a rabbit hole of not feeling good um so yeah so we do um the theory in the mornings and then in the afternoon a lot of that work is really about becoming present and and being in the moment with the horses um you know we do liberty work and and some fun things as well but a lot of it is grooming a lot of it is um, learning how their energy is affecting that horse and the relationship that's going on between the two you know beings at any given time you know, sometimes horses will just look away and not want to interact with someone. Sometimes they present as bothered um, around some people. And then some people, they'll push on and, and be rude. So there's so much going in there that the horse is a mirror to the person. And so it's not like I have to say anything. The horses are showing so much in those situations. So, um, yeah, I think it's really powerful work. And it's my, I'm not affiliated with any um, body in that. This is my sort of system that I've developed with my NLP and with my therapy. So I sort of combine the two. Where do you get the, where do the troubled teens come to you from? Uh, well, I advertise on, on social media and uh, parents but see. The, the, 
Oh, so the the parents bring them to you. It's it's you're mm. not they're not coming from like a juvie or anything like that. No, I would love to do that um, work, but uh, a lot of people, it's word of mouth as well. Yeah, you know, people here like sometimes. Well, I know one lass. Um, a lady booked her daughter in for riding lessons, and you know, I'm a pretty fun coach. I can normally crack a kid, you know, and have a bit of fun and. And this, this young lass, I think she was about 13, um, I couldn't get a smile out of this kid. Ooh, and I thought, yeah, this is this is not good. Normally, you know, I can have a bit of fun. And she was actually quite a handy little rider too, so she probably was on that verge of I know it all anyway. Right. Mum had brought her. And, and we got three weeks in and the mum just rang me and said, my daughter's, I found that my daughter's considering taking her own life. I've, I've seen it on her. She's she's looked up on, you know, the internet how many sleeping pills she needs to take to end her life and her mum was just hysterical on the phone. Now, she'd really just come to me for horse riding lessons but I think she'd actually heard that there was more going on in our horse riding lessons and and so I guess that's um it's, it is word of mouth. Like so, bang, straight away, I, I knew what, how to help this girl and this, and this lady like, and it's such a great thing to have those skills because... Um, you know, I've impacted this young little girl's life. Like she was getting texts saying she was getting bullied at school and she was getting texts like, oh, you're you're just ugly and we'd all be better off if you were dead and like the mom found all these texts, like just horrific mm. things. Yeah. Um, so firstly, I mean, we did some sessions with her. I mean, we got her going. Um, the mum bought her a horse. <laughs> I said, let's just get her a horse. Find her a horse, you know what I mean? Like just do whatever we need to do. Um, we found this other little quarter horse and um, and then she came to me for sessions and just learning that her thoughts create her reality. Like she's just this little kid going around now going, she's not so little now, but you know what I mean? She learned that like she pulls her mum up now, mum, don't be thinking like that. Don't talk like that, mum. You're creating that. <laughs> like she's so adorable. That's awesome. But, yeah, so like with that little lass, she, as she, she learned, you know, about reality and about well, that you can create your own reality. And, and the funny thing is about this little girl, you should see her now, she's drop-dead gorgeous. She's just finished her um, schooling. She did her prom recently and I saw the pictures on Facebook. There's this beautiful, like she's modelled material, beautiful, and these horrible people were telling her she was fat and ugly. She you know, she went through that little stage as a 12-year-old order. And I thought to it myself, I looked at her on, these, on Facebook, I went, there you go, people, I bet you're all not saying that to her now (laughs) and and she actually started a program within her school and she would put up posts saying if anyone's not happy or they're getting troubled you come and see me really that's awesome yeah so she'll go and do some great things that kid that's very cool so in your bio here it says you're creating the creator of a cutting edge healing modality called the etp method what is etp stand for and what is this etp method Okay, well, it's my um, modality that I've developed from working with lots of people. Um, I'm giving you sacred information now of what it actually is. So this is my belief. This is on a podcast, by the way. Pardon? Oh, yeah, okay. We're on a podcast, so you're not just giving it to me. You're giving it to whoever this is at the podcast. I know. So what it is is um, we have to clear ourselves. So if we've got... Anything going on, uh, troubled uh, relationships, um, health problems, um, 
anything, it'll be some sort of clearing that needs to happen, whether it be energetically or emotionally, um, like in our mindset or in our physical body. We have to clear. Like our, our job, that's our job to get to a happier state where we can manifest things easier and, and be happier. So this system is step one is we have to clear our energy field. And so now we're going down the rabbit hole, okay? So within our energy, uh, we can um, we can have attracted things that aren't good from an outside environment. Um, and this is a more of a feeling thing than you can't go and see things, although the gentleman who I go to for energy healing, he can actually see around your body and see what you've attracted and mm. you might have walked through a shopping centre and attracted something so I know that sounds a little bit esoteric, but so it's basically clearing your energy field around you. So that's the E for the ETP method. Um, you might want to go see a guru. I know there's a great guy um, in, um, it's called the Four Winds Institute and he's in Peru. Um, his book is um, Healer. Uh, sage, um, wisdom or something, oh, Alberto Vivaldo, that's it. He does this energy healing, amazing. I would love to go see him. Um, but you might be able to find energy healers. You've sort of got to ask around a little bit. So that's the first section, so clearing this outside energy field. Um, now the other thing is when you do this work first, when you go and do the um, clearing out past emotions or trapped emotions, you're a little bit clearer, you're you then, you haven't got other people's energy that you're, that we're working with, so you're actually working directly with you and, and your baggage, let's say. So then uh, we do the next session, which is basically the timeline therapy aspect. So we're doing um, clearing out past emotions um, there. And then the next part um, is a process called Psych-K, uh, which is a little bit like um, kinesiology, um, but what we do there is we reinstall new belief systems or um, thought patterns that are going to take you to where you want to be in life. So if you've got limiting beliefs in that last bit, we we reinstall um, you know beliefs that you want to believe in your life. Um, so that's the um, process. So the ETPs, is that energy, timeline, and psych? Okay, yeah. Psych, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow, that sounds pretty <laughs> it's amazing. It's life-changing. <laughs> sounds like it. And then you are the author of The Secret Actions to Happiness, which is an e-book. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, so it actually explains a little bit more about um, the ETP method in that. Mm, okay. But um, it's 44 different action steps that you can take to change your vibration basically, and quite easy things to do. Uh, what you do is you go through the book and then you make your own plan at the end of it. Um, you might decide, I don't know, what's in the book, um, to do med uh, meditation daily or you might choose to go and walk out in nature daily or um, pick up a hobby or there's so many things. Like there's 44 different things to just go, oh, yeah, I'd like to go do that that will just raise your energy because sometimes when people are depressed, they just need to go and do something to change their routine, to change, to get them out of the house. Sometimes it can be as, sometimes it can be as important as just going having a shower in the morning. 
and I know that sounds quite melodramatic, but you know, I've, I've worked with people that just getting out of bed that day and having a shower is their accomplishment. So, right. so I'm very um, aware and respectful of that. Um, so this just gives people some, yeah, some activities to go and do. It might be doing a vision board. It might be um, doing making a mind movie and watching that every day. Um, one of my favourite things is making a audio tape of things that you would like to become or hear so you're listening to that every day in your own voice. It's like a positive affirmation moving you towards the identity or self-image that you would like and, yeah, so it has lots of different things in there. Wow. And so there's one last thing on your list of stuff here. You said you launched the Rural and Real over-the-phone counselling service for rural people. That sounds very cool, especially in Australia where the rate of suicide amongst farmers is very, very high. Yeah, I, I really do feel that. Uh, I think, and coming from the land, I get it. It's a very much a mindset is I'll just sort it out myself. You know, if you've got a tractor problem, I'll just go find a way to fix it or... You know, it's a very much that that philosophy. So for a fella to go and ask for help, especially, um, including women as well, but especially a fella, it's, it's hard. So if they can actually talk to someone who's off the land, you know, I'm on a cattle property here, we've got, you know, it's carving season at the moment and, you know, I'm probably, um, I can relate. I can, I can relate to their, their story, their life. I'm not sitting there in an office um, in my white coat <laughs> having a chat, I'm actually like, okay, well, you know, I understand what's going on. And so that's why I called it rural and real because I can have a real conversation about real things that um, might be impacting, but I've also got real solutions and real results because let's face it, you know, I'm, nobody wants to go to talk therapy, talk therapy for 10 years. Like let's just sort some things out and get things fixed quickly and solved. So that's why I called it that. And, um, that's yes, that's only just launched in the last couple of weeks. And like anything, it's about getting the word out there. And right. Well, I might get to these questions of yours then here that you've chosen. Yes. And the, uh, <laughs> the first one that you chose was if you could spread a message across the world, one that people would listen to, what would it be? Well... This is what I've learned after many, many years of, of um, studying. Oh, the other, another person that I've worked with is Bob Proctor. You know Bob mm, Proctor? Okay. Yep. Yeah, love Bob's work. Um, two things. The biggest thing that I would say is if you want to make any change in your life, it needs to be at the subconscious level. That'll be one of the most important things anyone could ever learn because mindset, I mean, sorry, Willpower only gets you so far. You know, it's like, oh, it's New Year's Eve. We're going to make a New Year's resolution. Yay, two weeks later, we're doing the same pattern. We have to change on the subconscious level. And I wish I could have learned that in my 20s because that's the that's the kicker. Um, but that would be probably, you know, one aspect and just that people don't need to suffer. There are ways that you can release negative emotions and anxiety quite quickly and um, and painlessly. And so that's my two messages if I, if I was to 
be wanting to share a message. Yes. Okay. So what has been your biggest failure and how has it helped you? <laughs> yeah. Did I say that one? Um, what's been That's, my biggest you, failure? You chose that one. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what's been my biggest failure. I think, um, well, I don't know whether it's a failure as much as it's taken me so goddamn long to work this stuff out. You know, if you're um, in your 20s, 30s, 40s listening to this podcast, like you're ahead of the game because it seems to take a lifetime to learn a lifetime of things. So I just probably wish that it didn't take me so long to to work out that all you've got to do is shift your subconscious if you want to attract things. So... Yeah, and probably, you know, not getting the Pony Fairy up and running. Um, that was a dream to get that series up and really impact the world with little ponies and fairies and things. So I don't really know. Um, funny thing happened the other day. I was talking to a lady and I was mentioning it and she said, oh, she said, you know, I'm about to get a job at the ABC. <laughs> so who knows what the future brings. But yeah. You've planted a seed. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so what book do you recommend the most? Not necessarily your favourite book, but one that you recommend the most to other people or could be the same. Um, Well, I would have to say um, the um, Make Happier Habit, which is my book. I I didn't (laughs) write that in the bio, but I've got a course called Make Happier Habit. And... um, but other than that, I would say probably Wayne Dyer's um, You Will See It When You Believe It. Yeah. And, um, and definitely Getting Into the Vortex by Esther and Jerry Hicks. Um, that's, a, that's a great book. Great book. I couldn't put that one down. That was good. Really, you'll have to take a look at that one. So this is a question that not many people choose. What is an unusual habit you have? Something out of the ordinary. <laughs> well, I thought this was a funny one. I've just been I've just been doing the final touches to an online program and it's called Make Happier Habit. And the tech side of this has been doing my head in. Do like you would know, like getting all the back end pieces working in the in the membership area and all that, oh my goodness. It actually has frazzled my brain a little bit. So what I do is I have a swing outside. And when it's all gotten too much, I just go and sit on the swing and just look up at the trees and just clear my mind because it's just all gotten too much <laughs> so yes i have a swing outside how about swing. that swing that's awesome um yeah all that tech stuff that's that's my darling wife's oh. that's uh, she she deals with all that 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 would do my head in way too much mm. I, I i do buy a bit and then she does all the rest of it she does 90 yeah. percent of the stuff around here i'm just the, the face of the whole thing <laughs> you're just the talent mm. <laughs> So what do you feel is the worst – oh, here we go, yes. What do you feel is the worst advice given in your profession? And you have to first say give yourself a profession because a lot of times guests on the podcast like this, are they have a uh, – you know, they do things that might not be just a standard profession. So what is your profession first? And then tell us what, what do you feel is the worst advice given in your profession? Well – I would say I've got two professions, so I'm a you know therapist in and and, and coach in life and mindset, but then I'm also still an equestrian coach um, in the mindset department. 
I read only the other day on one of these depression and anxiety um, support groups, um, someone was saying, oh, you've just got to learn to live with it. Depression is a life sentence and you've just got to learn to live with it. That is 100% untrue. Incorrect answer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And these are people just talking amongst each other and I'm thinking this this one lady is telling this poor lady who's obviously suffering um, yeah, that is a life sentence. And like, no, don't be going there. Don't even tell people that because then they're going to believe that reality. Right. <laughs> so, when I'm, I mean, with and with the horsemanship, what's the worst advice? Oh my gosh, you know, after 20, 30 years of teaching people, I think, um, ride him out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hang on and yep. ride him out of it. No, bend him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yes. So many things in that. Horsemanship um, is ridiculous, and and oh, and the, and, and lateral flexion gives them rubber necks, and uh, the list would go on in horsemanship. I've heard of yeah, these. I think so. So, what what accomplishment are you most proud of? You know, this is um, an interesting one. I'm proud that I'm in charge of my emotional stability in life. I can go through my day, and I can be happy, and I can choose that. That's something to be very proud of. It bloody is, you know. Like I know that sounds crazy, but I wake up happy and I'm, you know, it's very, very hard to trigger me. You know what I mean? As far as I'm I'm not saying I'm not offended. I'm not saying I could never get offended, but it's pretty bloody hard to offend me. You know what I mean? I just go, okay, whatever. Like I'm not, I don't worry about things. You know, that's, um, that's a hard place to get to. And still um, have available emotions. I know. You know, that. there is yeah, there is like shutting it, shutting yeah. down to where you don't have any emotions, and so yes. people can't offend you or whatever. Yeah, that's that's one way of doing it. But then you don't have access to any emotions. But having access to emotions, but being able to not be offended by people's opinion of you, that's a level of stuff that's. Very difficult to achieve, I think. Look, I'm. I allow my emotions to to come up, and that's probably why I can just. You know, if I'm sad about something, I'll allow myself to be sad in that moment. I just don't have to be there very long. You know what I mean? Like, um, the other day I was at my best friend's mum's funeral. It's a sad moment. It's a sad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a it's an emotional moment, and probably for me. You know, brought brought up my mum's death uh, a little bit, and um, and seeing my best friend since we were fifteen years old in that much distress. But it's okay to feel that in that moment. It's okay, like allow yourself. Don't squash your emotions down in that moment, and that way you don't have to hold them that long either. You know what I mean? I think there's a there's a flip side to that. Most people are trying to squash stuff down. Don't feel it. Don't feel it. In a, in a moment, like it's okay to feel stuff, but you just don't have to live there very long. That's what I would say. Yeah, my wife, um, you know, has suffered from anxiety for a long time and she's gone from working on techniques to not have the anxiety to being able to sit with it and feel into what's actually going on. And that, I think that's the next level of that is instead of trying to make it go away, instead of trying to control mm-hmm. it, is is sit with it and work through it. Well, funny you should say that. One of the techniques that I 
um, teach is when an emotion comes up, you ask the emotion, you acknowledge the emotion, like in that moment, but then you ask, what is it that you're, that, what is it that I need to know or what is this emotion trying to tell me? And as soon as you acknowledge an emotion and ask that question, you'll find a relief and a decrease in that moment of the anxiety. And once you get good at it, you'll actually, the anxiety will go. It's, it's really being curious about it instead of kind yes. of rejecting it. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, it's having Definitely. that sense of, sense of curiosity about it rather than a judgment of it. Definitely. And, and, and that probably that probably applies to a lot more things than just when emotions come up, you know, having a sense of curiosity about things rather than yeah, rather than judging them. Yeah, or just dismissing them and things. Definitely. Definitely. Boy, those birds of yours are getting louder out there now. <laughs> They're happy. <laughs> they are very, very happy. <laughs> um, so how can people find out more about you uh, and the things that you offer? Uh, well, Jennifer Walker International website, uh, so jenniferwalkerinternational.com has a lot of information. Um, the Make Happier Habit program is probably one of the things I'm most proud of. It's an online program, a six-week program, or you can do it as fast as you want really, um, but it goes into this mindset. It goes into shifting your the way you look at the world and, and how you're seeing things um, to get to a place where you make happier habit. Right. Um, is that... Um... Is that on your Jennifer Walker International? Can it, is it? Is there a link to that on there? Yes, um, there's a link to that. There's a, a link to the um, 44 Secret Actions to Happiness. Or I think I've got the Secret Actions to Happiness. And you can also book in to have private sessions with me on there as well. So there's a booking form on there okay. as well. Yeah, Perfect. So what about social to... media? You got any social media stuff? Uh, yeah, I've got um, Make Happy Habit um, Facebook page. Make Happy Habit. Okay. And what about Instagram? Same. uh, Make Happy Habit. Um, I think I've got Make Happy Habit Coach on Instagram. I couldn't get the exact name, I think. Uh, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, (laughs) I don't Um, know all these. No, I probably should do TikTok. I actually watch a bit of TikTok now and then. But (laughs) um, no, I mainly do um, Facebook. Probably the older generation. I haven't got into the TikTok yet or the Snapchat. I'm not a a TikToker. No awesome. Worries. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been awesome having you on the podcast and uh, it's been such fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it and I hope um, hope your listeners and viewers uh, yeah, got something out of it today, a little chat. Yeah, I, I, ha- I got a kick out of it because where you came from and then what you do now, I'm like, oh, there's got to be there's got to be a story in here somewhere and then you yeah, then you end up all the, the stuff I'm into. So, yeah, it's been fun. So you guys at home listening, thanks so much and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Journey on Podcast. See you later. <laughs> thanks for being a part of the Journey on Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.